Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. Thank you very much, Matt. Awesome. My pleasure. Awesome. Right. Good morning, everybody. It is. It really is brilliant to be here, and uh, it's crazy to think. I, I was pretty convinced. I'm sure it was about 25 years ago. We're all Christian Centre, which was uh, we came. We did an event called "The Truth Is Out There," and uh, and I was preaching the gospel, and we had dances and all that kind of stuff. We made a really strong connection with the youth of this church, and in fact, the youth leader at that time brought a whole bunch of young people from We're All Christian Centre down to Hitchin and spent a whole weekend with us. And so it's amazing to make this reconnection and really looking forward to uh, our time together. And so this morning we're going to be thinking about this disciples making disciples uh, theme. And what I want to uh, start with is basically this question, us to think about this question like, why am I here? Why am I here today? And I don't mean in some deep meaningful like, why am I here on the earth? But literally, why are you here this morning? And what is it even about this subject that intrigues you? So just for the next 30 seconds, uh, I want to encourage you just to turn to the person next to you and answer that question. Now, let me just say this, because uh, as uh, Greg said, I'm also a church leader. In fact, he and I have a lot in common. My dad started our church, and he led the church for 31 years, and then I took over from him uh, just uh, five or six years ago. And so we're both PKs, and we both had the baton passed on to us, which is an amazing privilege. Um, But I'm aware that, you know, when the person at the front says... Uh, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just talk to them? There are some people who love doing that and other people just hate the thought. So let me just say to you what I always say to my church when, when we say this. Look, if you really don't want to talk to the person next to you, if you just uh, fold your arms, close your eyes and hum really loudly, then they, will, then they will know, they will know, leave me alone. But if you're happy just for the next 30 seconds to have a little bit of a chat about the question, why am I here, then, uh, then, we'll, uh, then we'll explore that. So over to you just for 30 seconds. Why am I here? Go for it. Okay, well, I, I, for whatever reason you're here, uh, these are the things uh, that I'm going to talk about uh, this morning, and hopefully it will chime with why you're here. Um, and as Grace said, we're going to take a break, uh, just so that we can get a little bit refreshed, and then we'll go from there. So what we're going to do in this, in this first uh, talk is I'm going to explore with you, firstly, four, quickly, four really important reasons why all of us should want people to become followers of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, if we don't think that's really important, then we're not going to do anything else. And so we're going to look at four really important reasons why we should all want people to follow Jesus. And my dad would be really proud because they all begin with the letter F. So that's going to be great. So we're going to do that. Then we're going to look at three confidence-building activities that all of us can do that hopefully will get people to a place, your friends, whether you're young people or adults, where they might say to you, I want to become a Christian. And so we're going to look at three confidence-building activities. And then finally, I'm going to give you, before we take a break, three very simple phrases that you can use to help describe what it means to be a Christian and that you can use those phrases in a prayer. Because the goal of today is that I would really hope that every one of us, when we leave here, will feel 
Not just, I really want to lead someone to Christ. Not just, I feel confident in leading someone to Christ. Not just, I know how to grow the faith of someone and help them grow the faith of someone else. It would be amazing, wouldn't it, Pastor Greg, if, if by the time everyone left here, that everyone was saying, you know what, within a year of today, I want to have done this. I want to have led someone to Jesus. I want to have brought them into relationship with Jesus. And so, so hopefully, uh, that's what we're going to do up until the break. And if you are not a follower of Jesus here today, uh, just to say now, I'm going to say now, just before we break, I'm going to create an opportunity for you, perhaps, to say yes to Jesus for the first time. And or maybe recommit your life to him. Because I'm hoping what you catch in this first talk is how amazing Jesus is. And does anyone in the house believe that Jesus is amazing? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, this is, this is a Pentecostal church, isn't it, right? You know, and uh, so I come from a Pentecostal church too, so I'm expecting a little bit of feedback here. Amen? Amen. Good, excellent. You guys are good. We're going to have fun this morning. And, uh, and so that will take us up to the first half. Then we're going to take a little bit of a break. And then in the second half, we're going to think about how do you grow the faith of someone and help them really produce that faith in someone else? How do you become a disciple? Does that sound all right? So that's, that's good. Are we, are we tracking all good on images? So uh, let me start here. I've worked for Urban Saints for 18 years. And before I worked for Urban Saints, I worked for the mobile phone company, which is currently called Everything Everywhere, EE. Are you guys familiar with that? Now, I say currently because it used to be called T-Mobile, and before that, it was called one-to-one. If you're old enough, you'll remember the adverts where Ian Wright wanted to have a one-to-one with Martin Luther King Jr. Does anyone remember those adverts? Well, well, I worked throughout my 20s for one-to-one. That was what it was called when I was there at the time. And... um, And uh, at one point, the powers that be decided that they wanted to create a more motivational environment for us, that there wasn't enough motivation in the office down in London where we were. And so so they bought all these motivational posters. And and some of you might have seen these kind of things, like you get this big poster, and, and on the poster, there'd be someone climbing a rock face, clearly very high up, and underneath would be the words, endurance. Or you'd have a group of people holding hands at 10,000 feet skydiving, and underneath it would say, teamwork. And these posters were everywhere. Literally, they were in the foyer, they were in the lift, they were in the offices, they were in the meeting rooms, they were in the corridors, they were even in the toilets. And believe me, when you're going to the loo, you do not need a poster that says teamwork. You just don't need that. (laughs) Not necessary. It's a one-man sport. And so, uh, anyway, I want to begin my time not by motivating you, but by demotivating you. Now, you might think, like, why would you do that, man? That sounds crazy. Well, well I, I'm doing it for a few reasons. Firstly, I'm doing it because I figure if I demotivate you at the beginning of our time, it's just going to get better, isn't it, from then on in? <laughs> And so you'll be reflecting afterwards and you'll say, wow, he was really lame at the start. He made me feel bad at the start, but it got better. So I just kind of figure if we start low, we can only go high. Okay. Secondly, the second reason I'm doing this is actually by the time we get to the end of what I'm going to show you in this little uh, bit with these demotivational posters, actually the last poster, which is the funniest, is actually the most profound. And it's all about what we're going to talk about this evening, uh, this morning. So let me just be really, really clear. This is fun. Nudge someone next to you and say, this is fun. Okay, this is fun. This is not God's word. Please don't grab this and go, I just received that from Jesus today. This is, this is not. This is just a bit of fun today. And so let's step through those, shall we? The first one says this, believe in yourself 
we get the slide up? Because the rest of us think you're an idiot. <laughs> or what about this one? The next one, adventure. Keep living life like there's no tomorrow and you'll be right sooner than you think. Or what about this next one? Defeat. For every winner, there are dozens of losers. Odds are you're one of those losers here this morning. Or what about this one? Perseverance. The courage to ignore the obvious wisdom of turning back. You idiots, turn around. Or this next one, multitasking. The art of doing twice as much as you should, half as well as you could. Multitasking is a myth. Is anyone here, by the way, this morning who works in a team with people in this church? Anyone? Just wave your hands. A few teams. You'll like this next one. Uh, team building. Sometimes the most important lesson you can learn is you're not a very good team people. You're not, and here's my favorite to finish. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to other people. <laughs> so people will look at your life and, and you say, whatever you do, don't be like me. <laughs> and of course, we finish there because the message of Jesus Christ is the very opposite of this. That actually that you and I should be living such a contagious, compelling, audacious life that people will look at us and say, I want what you've got. I want to be like you. It, it enables you to have the boldness that the Apostle Paul had in 1 Corinthians 11 1, when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mimic me. That all of us who are here as followers of Jesus should want to live a life in such a way that others would want to reproduce what God is reproducing in us. Amen? Amen. So let's think about this word disciple. Next slide for a moment. This whole challenge of disciple making that we're exploring this evening, this, uh, this morning, keep saying that. Uh, I am going to keep you here till this evening. That's just why I'm saying that. That is a joke. Don't worry. Don't panic. This word disciple, which I'm, I'm sure you know, is the Greek word methetes. And the interesting thing about this word disciple, this word methetes, is it appears over 250 times throughout the New Testament. Any, anyone have any idea how many times the word Christian is mentioned? Any ideas? Any ideas? Just three. Just three. Three times in the whole of the New Testament, but the word disciple, methetes, is mentioned over 250 times. And it's sometimes translated learner, and it's best translated apprentice. That if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are Jesus' apprentice. Now, what are you apprenticing in? Well, you'll be pleased to know that Jesus is not wanting to uh, apprentice you in, in woodcraft or carpentry or stonemasonry. When we are apprenticing, and Greg alluded to this in his uh, uh, prayer this morning, what we are learning to do, or more importantly, be, is like Jesus. If we are Jesus' disciples, that we are learning to become like him, and the more we become like him, then his mission becomes our passion. God is, uh, Jesus wants to reproduce his life in you. The goal of your faith, which will be fully achieved when you see Jesus face to face in heaven, is to become like Christ. That is the goal of your life, to become like Jesus Christ. That was the reason ultimately you were born, to know God and become like his son. And when you see him, you will be like him because you see him face to face. That we become like him. That's why it should be on the prayer lips of every Christian first thing in the morning. 
first thing in the morning, whether you do it in the shower or you're driving to work or walking to school, like every morning we should be saying to the Lord, Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and help me to become more like Jesus today. Fan into flame love and joy and peace and patience. Help me to be a man and woman of goodness and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23, against these things there is no law. The character of Christ, that Christ be formed in you, because the more you become like him, the more you'll do and say and be the things that he is. That's what it means for us to be his disciples. Like when you meet together, if I ever uh, get invited back off today and we'll have to see how I behave, uh, but if I do, then you would hope, let's say I came back in two years' time, we should be able to look each other in the eye and and say, you know what, I am more like Jesus now, two years on, than I was two years previously because I am growing in faith and becoming more like him. That's what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus commands us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, to go into all nations, ethnos, people groups, and make disciples, make mathetes, apprentices who make apprentices who make apprentices. The Great Commission. And that's for all of us. The Great Commission for all of us. And I I want to just, before we launch in, connect two passages of Scripture. Uh, The first is this in Psalm 78, first four, six, and seven. I love these verses, particularly uh, as a a youth leader, which I'll be doing till the day I die, but but also for all of us. The psalmist writes, we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. Verse seven, the dream of God, I call verse seven. Each generation which said it's hope and you on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. I want you to notice two things from these verses. Firstly, I want you to notice what the psalmist is saying, what you do now matters for generations to come. As you invest, that's why I love youth work. And if, and if you're not involved in youth work and there are needs in youth work, get stuck involved in youth and children's work. Because if you invest in the life of a 14-year-old, then what the psalmist is saying, you're not just impacting their life, but you're impacting the life of their children who aren't even born yet. It's really important because our worldview is shaped in their teenage years. And, 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 I, and we need to be the ones who are coming alongside them to see that they get the kingdom worldview and they know how much Jesus loves them and, and that he's worth living for. Amen? But that's a whole other talk. So that's the first thing. But the second thing I want you to catch, and this is really, really important, I want you to notice the baton-passing nature of faith. There are multiple baton passes here, aren't there? And it's the same thing that hundreds of years later, if we go to our next slide, the Apostle Paul picks up in a, in a Roman prison. He writes to his friend and mentee, Timothy, the guy he's discipling, and Paul's about to be executed by Roman, the crazy Roman Emperor Nero. And this is the last letter he writes. And in it, he says to Timothy, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these things to other trustworthy people who'll be able to pass them on to others. Do you see the link, the the baton passing that goes on? There are four generations that are mentioned here. And so what I want us to understand right at the outset is that the essence of disciple-making is reproduction. 
And, and that if you've truly discipled someone, then they are reproducing themselves. So, you know, we are trying, that which I'm sharing with you, we're trying to get this right within our churches, within my church. It, this is hard. Let me say right at the outset, what we're going to talk about today is hard. Like it's worth it. In fact, if you would give an hour or so a week to what we're going to explore in the second half, if you would give an hour or so a week, I promise you, you could go on to impact the lives of millions and millions of people. And I will tell you a story right at the end that will prove that that is true. But it's hard. Disciple making is hard. Let's, let's be real about that. But, and so in my experience, with all, particularly my travels with urban saints in this country and abroad, most churches don't do disciple making. Most churches don't do it. You know, this, what I'm doing at the moment, I'm not really, this is not disciple making. I'm doing some teaching, but this is not really disciple making in the way that we're going to explore today. This is important, but it's not really disciple making. And so most churches don't do it, but where they do it, um, it, it tends to happen. And this would be true of my church as well, because we're trying to change. So, so let's say I am saying I'm discipling Greg. So where churches want to disciple, um, I might catch up with Greg and, and seek to grow his faith. And, and where churches do that, that tends to be what happens. But what the psalmist is saying and what Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Not only should I be discipling Greg, I should at the same time be encouraging him to disciple someone else. Because I don't just want to be a spiritual dad to Greg, I want to be a spiritual granddad. Because the essence of disciple making is reproduction. And that's when you get revival. That's when you get movement where people are reproducing themselves. And that's why we're here today. Because through a huge line of faith over the last 2,000 years of Christian history, the baton of faith has passed to us. And the big $64 million question to you today is will you drop the baton? Will you drop the baton? Will the genealogy of faith end with you? Or will you have, whether you have biological children or not, but will you have spiritual children? Because that's the longing of God's heart for everyone in this place. And will you eventually have spiritual grandchildren? Because that's really what the Lord wants for you, that you reproduce. Am I making sense? Yes. Cool. Okay. So that sets the scene. So, so let's dive straight in there. Now I'm going to go through stuff quickly and, um, and, uh, and I, I hope this helps and then we'll take a break. So we're going to look at then, what are the four reasons why every single one of us should want to say yes to Jesus? And here's the first on the screen, which is forgiveness. We all know that we all mess up and make mistakes. We get things wrong. We hurt ourselves, we hurt other people, we hurt God's world, and we hurt God. The Bible calls it sin. It's not sin just because God says it's sin. It's sin because it destroys, it damages, it ruins things. And when we say yes to Jesus, one of Jesus' closest disciples says this amazing thing. Because of what Jesus did on the cross... Paying the price for all that sin. Like we can understand it a little, but it's mysterious. Like how did all of the things that we, we did wrong end up on the cross on Jesus? But they did. That's why one of the prophets hundreds of years earlier said to him that he bore our sins and it crushed him. It crushed him on the cross. And then three days later, he rose again and he's alive today and he is offering us forgiveness. And John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to imagine, I don't know if you are here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine, I, I used to say a whiteboard, a blackboard, but let's say a whiteboard now. And everything you've ever done wrong is written 
written on that whiteboard. And I'm here to tell you, because of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, Jesus is here to wipe that slate clean today, just as if you had never sinned, and to clean up your life. And it's like you've got a brand new chance that you are like born again, born again. You can be forgiven like Everyone in the world needs to be forgiven. That's a good reason. The second reason why we should want people to become part of the family, uh, to be saved, is because they become part of the family of God. And people need to belong, don't they? They need to belong. And we are part of this amazing global family. Now, just, now, just sit comfortably for a minute, because I'm going to give you a shocking revelation. This is going to upset some of you today. Just, is, is there anyone in the house who is a Christian? Can I just get a bit of a show of hands and a little bit of a mild yay? Excellent. Not too enthusiastic. You know, I know it's still early. I'm old yet. So if you are a follower of Jesus, just take a deep breath. Hold that breath for a moment because I need to tell you something. I am your brother. Now, I know that some of you are pleased by that. Some of you feel like Luke Skywalker at the end of The Empire Strikes Back, where Darth Vader says, I am your father. And you're going, no, it can't be true. But the truth is, friends, I am your brother. We are part of the family of God. We're not just friends. We are not strangers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you can go any place on planet Earth, anywhere. You don't have to speak the language. But when God is your father and Jesus Christ is your elder brother and the Holy Spirit is your constant companion, counselor and advocate, then you are part of the family of God and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are, you know, you can't pick your biological family and you can't pick your spiritual family, I'm afraid. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and what would it be like if the church of Jesus Christ started to be the family of God? I did a little provocative talk a year or so ago at a youth conference where I said, ditch your youth group. This was my title. Ditch your youth group and start a family. Because what people are crying out for today is a family to belong to. And so that's what we offer. Forgiveness, um, a family. Thirdly, freedom. Freedom. That when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes a part of our lives. And every day as we pray, he's, he's cooperating with our choices. And when we make good choices, we start to get free from the things that held us back. God doesn't want to just bring healing and wholeness to our life when we're part of new creation. There is good news for us now, bringing emotional healing. Like we pray for physical healing for people, don't we? We, we pray for the whole of people's lives and we want to see people get free. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so we believe that saying yes to Jesus is a good idea because people start getting free from the things that held them back in life. Is anyone in the house glad you're a Christian today? Like, this is good news, isn't it? I think this is why it's called good news. And then finally, the final thing, and there's so many things I could say, is that we have a future. Like, we are the ones, we do not fear death. Like, I don't want to die, particularly, anytime soon. But I'm not worried about it because I know it's not the end. And this profoundly came home to me as a truth uh, just in May of last year. Because on the first Friday of the May of last year, I got the call that no uh, pastor ever wants to hear, that one of the young people in our church, beautiful Mary, 15 years old, had suffered an incredibly damaging brain hemorrhage and was in hospital. 
And we were praying, churches were praying. This amazing girl who loved the Lord, like every Sunday she would text a scripture to all of her friends and stick it on Facebook and Twitter. Like all the people who connected with her in church knew she was a Christian. I mean, she was amazing. And of course I said she was because on the Monday I was sitting in our church office, it was about three o'clock and I got her text from her dad and it simply said this, Mary has just flown on the wings of angels to be with her father in heaven. A couple of weeks later, 400 people gathered into our church to hear, uh, to give thanksgiving for Mary's life. And as her father came to the stage and read the eulogy through tears, I, as I stood behind him with my hand on his shoulder, he, he looked across these people, many non-Christians, head teachers and stuff, just, and, and he said, as I had said earlier, Mary is not dead. Mary has never been more alive than ever before, and we will see her again. And we won't just see her floating on a cloud singing, shine Jesus, shine with a harp. We will physically see her and hug her and high-five her in new creation. Because there is a time coming where there'll be no more death and there'll be no more brain hemorrhages and there'll be no more cancer and there'll be no more pain, sickness, suffering and death and hell itself because victory has overcome through Jesus Christ. And this is our future. This is our future. We're the ones that have this future. And so these are hopefully four fairly compelling reasons why we should want to become followers of Jesus. Forgiveness, family, freedom and future. Why don't you just for 30 seconds, just to let those things go in, which of those are you so grateful for this morning? Just to the person next to you, which of those are you particularly so grateful for this morning to the person next to you? All harm and close your eyes, go for it. Okay, so let's, let's move on, is everyone okay? We track it all right? You still with me? So, so now we're going to think about, well, how do we if, we, if we want to bring people to Jesus, how do we go about doing it? So I'm going to, let's talk about this subject of bringing people to Jesus. And, uh, and hopefully this will be easy to remember because I'm going to talk about three things, prayer, care, and share. Prayer, care, and share. Everyone say that? Prayer, care, and share. So let's talk about the first one, prayer. Before we bring God to people, it's really important that we bring people to God. Before we bring God to people, it's really, really important that we bring people to God. Prayer, in many ways, is mysterious, isn't it? Like, we don't fully understand how it works. We don't understand why this happens and this doesn't happen. But what we know is we are commanded to pray and to persist in praying, understanding that ultimately the goal of prayer is to change us. You know, God is far more committed to change you than your circumstances. God wants to change you in that intimacy of prayer. But, but I want you to think about right now at least three people that you know who are not followers of Jesus. They may be friends, neighbours, family members who are not followers of Jesus. And I want to practically encourage you, some of you might want to even do this now or commit to do it later, so put their names in your phone, write their names on a post-it note, stick that post-it note wherever you can, stick it in your bathroom, set an alarm on your phone to go off at a really odd time every day so that even if you're in school or at work and you feel the vibration of the phone in your pocket, you will remember that that is a moment to say, God, I pray that John would open up his eyes to you, that I would have opportunity 
opportunity to share with him, I pray that he would come into relationship with you. I want to encourage you to bring people to the throne of God on a regular basis because prayer really makes a difference. Let me tell you two quick stories before I move on to the next point. I was in Northern Ireland uh, uh, just last year speaking at a festival called uh, Summer Madness. It's like the Northern Ireland's equivalent to Soul Survivor. And I was doing some of teaching, but there was another guy teaching called Adrian. And Adrian uh, is a retired teacher, but he still does some substitute teaching now and again. And he told the story about how once he was doing some teaching and he'd set some homework and he started to walk down the rows of students. And as he got to each row, he would stop. And they thought he was just checking over their work, but he was praying for them in his head. And he would bring them by name. I pray for Alicia. I pray that, God, that she would know you and... And he just stepped through and he got about halfway down the class and he started to pray for this guy. I think he was about 15 years old, the boy. can't remember his name. Let's call him Mike. And so he said, God, I pray for Mike. I pray that he would know you. I pray that he would realize that you love him. And as he started to pray, he felt the father whisper to him this shocking statement. He felt the father say this. No one has ever mentioned this boy's name in my presence before. Now I want you to just soak in the profound nature of that statement. Because when you think about it, it's obvious that there are people on planet Earth today that no one is praying for. That no one is coming before the Father and saying, God, would you please, because there are eternities at stake here. No one is coming before the Father. There are people you know, and I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you, I'm just telling you the truth. Like, if there are people that you know, if you don't pray for them, like, no one's praying for them. No one's praying for them. Now, I know Jesus is, because he is the ultimate intercessor. I know that. But I'm talking here. I want to encourage you practically to pray and persevere. D.L. Moody, this amazing evangelist, he had a list of 100 people that he was praying for every day. And when D.L. Moody passed away, 96 of those 100 people had become followers of Jesus. And the remaining four people became Christians at his funeral. (laughs) How does it work? I don't know. But it seems to me that when we pray, things happen. And when we don't pray, things don't happen. So I want to encourage you, before we bring God to people, we need people to God. Get a list. Let's get really practical this morning. Get a list. Pray. Believe. You know, we're we're covenanting together maybe by the end of this service that we all want to lead someone to Christ in the next year. Get that one name. Pray it through. Pray it through. Expect it to happen. Prayer is the first thing. The second is, is care. Because we're not supposed to just pray, but we're supposed to care for people and love people. And one of the things that's striking to me about the ministry of Jesus is that you know that Jesus healed loads and loads of people, didn't he? I mean, loads of people, probably thousands of people. He fed 10,000 of people. He did loads of miracles, cast out demons, rose the dead. And the majority of those people, and I'm talking the vast majority of those people, took their miracle and they cleared off. They did not follow him. Probably 99.9% grabbed their act of compassion and they walked away. But Jesus did it anyway, which tells me what? It tells me that acts of love and care and compassion have intrinsic value just in and of themselves, not just as a means to an end because we want someone to go to heaven. Can anyone hear me this morning? 
It's really important that we just love people because we love them because we love them. You know, I mean, I, I used to teach friendship evangelism. I've ditched that phrase because I think it's a horrible phrase, actually, because like, I'm your friend because I want to evangelize you. No, I'm your friend because I love you and I'm for you. And whether you ever follow Jesus or not, we're with you. I, when every Sunday at church, if I'm kind of introducing, I always say, look, I, I know there's a broad section of people here, but if you are a crazy card-following Jesus follower or you worshipped Satan last night, you are welcome here today you are welcome here today we're really glad you're here and we love you we love you I remember it was Good Friday a couple of years ago and uh, our churches I don't know what you do here in the world but the churches in Hitchin we're a small little community we do the March of Witness on a Friday you know where where we walk from one end to the other end about 500 fairly if I'm honest miserable looking Christians uh, walking from one end I'm not sure what kind of witness it is it's like we are really miserable and uh, and I know it's I'm not being I don't want to be trivializing it's good Friday but it's still good news and uh, anyway, I was on this particular Friday, I was right at the very back of the line of Christians. And it's a straight line. We're literally walking about half a mile from one end to the town to the other before we have a market square. And I was with a friend, Stephanie, who's from another church, and we all watched how everyone walked past Rebecca. Rebecca is homeless and sells the big issue outside Boots in the high street. And here were these 500 Christians from across the church, including my church, who were like, Jesus is alive. He's changed our, 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 our lives. He's sacrificed. He's served. He's given. He's so generous. He meets needs. He never walks by. And they all walked by. And I remember Stephanie and I saying, there is something wrong with this picture. We follow a Jesus who doesn't walk by. And so I say to my church every Good Friday now, because we have a nine o'clock little gathering before, like, if, if there's anyone selling the big issue, like, stop, love them, buy one, buy five, give them a hug, do something, because we are the people of care. We are the people. So, so what does that mean? So that means that you should have radar all the time. I mean, all the time. We should be the people who aren't just praying for the fruits of the Spirit to grow, but we should be the people who every morning are saying, Lord, whatever you're up to today, count me in. Count me in when you're on the tube, when you're in Sainsbury's, wherever you are, whatever you're up to, count me in. But specifically, think of the names of those people that you wrote down. How can I care for them? What can I do just to love them and be the hands and feet, the body of Christ to those people? Prayer, care, and then share. And this is where everyone freezes. This is where everyone loves to to, uh, quote Francis of Assisi, who who had those famous words, didn't he? Preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. And all the Christians go, thank goodness for that, because um, non-Christians and Christians both have the same thing in common, which is they all hate evangelism. Non-Christians hate receiving it, and Christians hate doing it. But, but, this cannot be right. Because Paul says in Romans, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news. And he's talking about speaking it out. How will people say yes unless they've heard? And how will people hear unless someone tells them? He doesn't say just shows them. He says tells them. Tells them. So when we do our acts of compassion, of course, sometimes we are really hoping that people will sometimes say, why? Why are you doing this? Like every other year, the churches in Hitchin do a family fun day. And they do this family fun day activity. And, uh, and there's face painting and hair braiding and uh, games and inflatables and barbecue. And it's all free. And anywhere between 500 and 1,000 people come. It's brilliant. 
And most people, they come and they take their burger and they have their face painted and their hair braided and they clear off. And it's great. They had a great time. But some people say, why? Why are you doing this? Let me just tell you. I know the time is going. Let me just tell you what you shouldn't do. If someone comes up to you and says, like, why have you given me this free burger? Do not do this. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the fish in the sea and the skies and the earth, and everything was in kind of perfect harmony, Adam and Eve, and it was going so well, and then Satan rocked up and he caused them to doubt that God was good, and because he doubted that God was good, they disliked God, and if you dislike God, then you'll disobey him, and that destroyed the relationship with God, everything went terribly wrong, the whole of creation was kind of shattered, but God wanted to get his people back, so he got this guy called Abraham, who was going to be a father of a great nation, he, he had a son called Isaac, and had a son called Jacob, and they had 12 sons, and one of them was Joseph, who loved to sing songs about, oh, I close my eyes, and he wore a, a lovely kind of colourful jacket as well, and because of that, his brothers really hated him, so he was sold into slavery, and eventually, though, he, he rose to provenance from the prison to the palace and it was all going eventually very very well for a long time but then the, the family grew and there were millions of them and the pharaoh at the time he hated that so he made them all slaves and got them building things like pyramids and stuff in, in Egypt and they cried out to God and God sent a deliverer eventually a guy called Moses and Moses came and, he, and eventually through ten places he got them there through the Red Sea and uh, he never led them into the promised land but a guy called Joshua and Caleb did and they turned into the promised land it was all good and then they had these judges like Samson and Barak and Gideon and Deborah and this whole bunch of people who were judging them bringing the people back to God when they messed up and eventually they really wanted a king like because everyone else had a king and so God eventually gave the king they thought they wanted was a guy called but actually the king they really needed was a guy called David and David was a great king, a beloved king and he was a fantastic king but even he went a little bit wrong sometimes but he had a son called Solomon after Solomon all the kings kind of went wrong and it was terrible really and they kept messing up and they were drifting from God which is why God sent the the prophets and the prophets are basically the second half of the whole of the Old Testament and all the time the prophets are calling the people come back to God, come back to God but they won't come back to God so in the end God decides to break into human history himself and Jesus Christ comes to show us what God is like to show us how to live a perfectly human life to die on the cross for our sin to rise again so that we will be forgiven and restored into perfect relationship with him and at the end of that 40 days he hangs around with his disciples and he gives them their marching orders and he goes back to heaven the Holy Spirit comes and the church is born and for the last 2,000 years the church has been doing acts of kindness and all manner of things and bringing people to God uh, to see the kingdom come and God's will be done and eventually we believe that Jesus Christ is going to come again and there will be new creation and everyone who knows God will be part of that new creation and we will reign with him forever and ever and that is why I gave you a burger today. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do it. In in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. And what does a witness do? A witness says, this is my story. This is what happened to me. You see, people can argue with your theology and your doctrine, but they can't disagree with your story. Why have you given us a burger? Because I have discovered a God who is so generous and kind, we're trying to be like him to the world. Every one of you here has a story. Every one of you here has, has, you know, if you ask, what difference has Jesus made in your life? I I was doing this uh, at Soul Survivor with hundreds of teenagers. It was brilliant. And some of them came up to me afterwards and they said, I don't have a story. I was like, of course you have a story. What they meant is, you know, I've not slept with 40 people, killed a few people and come through a radical conversion experience because those are are things. But there will be many of you like me who like, we never drifted away. We've always kind of been part of the thing. Of course, we've made massive mistakes. 
Everyone has a story. Everyone, hopefully in the room, has a reason to say, I'm really grateful to God because of this. We need to be like the blind man who was honest enough to say when he was grilled by the Pharisees, why this, why this, why this, why this? He said, look, I don't have all the answers to your questions, but I can tell you this, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. I don't know all of the answers. I don't understand everything. I've been following Jesus pretty much all of my life. I have more questions now than I had before. But I do know this, that God is good and Jesus is amazing and he's totally changed my life and I want to live the rest of my eternity in relationship with him. We sell our stories. But what if, and we're coming to close the session now, but what if then someone does the wonderful thing of saying, Okay, I'm in, I, I, I want to do it. So, so Jessica, about four months ago, she comes up to me, she pulls on my trouser leg. She's eight years old, I've known her since she was born. She says, Matt, I need to talk to you. So I got down on my knees. I went, what, Jess? She said, uh, one of my friends at school wants to become a Christian. What do I do? So I'm going to tell you as I close what I told Jessica. I said, yes, it's, actually, it's really simple. We make it difficult, but it's really simple. Christians are people who essentially every day, from the very first time they pray it, every day they live with these three, three simple phrases. Phrase number one, we're the people who say, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you created me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you, Jesus, you died for me. We are the people who say thank you. We say sorry. God, I'm sorry that I'm not all that I should be. I'm sorry for some of the things that I think and say and do. I'm sorry, forgive me. And we are people who say, help. Would you help me? Would you help me to be more like Jesus? Would you help me to be all that you created me to be? Would you help me to be free? Thank you, sorry. And change us and transform us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Brilliant. All right, yeah, take your seats. Are we all okay? Yep. Excellent. Okay. I got a little excited in that first bit. I'll try to calm down a bit now. So um, we're going to skip probably a few slides uh, onto the the Duncan Watkinson quote that's with a red background. And this was a book, I'd read the book a few years back um, called Where All the Fathers. And I read this book and it, this book like really hit me when Duncan Watkinson says, the church is good at building orphanages, but weak at reproducing family. And he talks elsewhere about too many people are born again into an orphanage rather than a family. And what he's talking about is that when people say yes to Jesus, too often we're just relying on the Sunday gathering or even small groups and stuff to do the disciple making when actually really there's this need to come alongside people and, and, and have space to talk to them, to process their questions, to, to father or mother them in a way to help them, particularly in the, in the early months of childlike faith, of, of even childish faith sometimes, and, and that we've got to do this stuff seriously. And, 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 it, and it connects a little bit with what I said in the first half about being the family of God, 
that we recognize that first and foremost our identity is that we're sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. And then out of that we want to be brothers and sisters. We long then to be mums and dads, but our real dream is to become grandparents. It's all of those kind of levels. It's all of those layers. And, uh, and if you skip a couple of slides onto the Live Life 1, 2, 3 slide, the, um, for the last, since 2012, and it's mentioned in the Don't Make History book, I've been sharing with people this very simple idea about the kind of disciple-making relationships that I would suggest uh, are rooted in Scripture and that we all need to thrive in faith and help others do the same. Live Life 1, 2, 3. So the one is... I believe it's good for all of us to have at least one person in our life that we are learning from, that we're learning from. Pete Gilbert, who co-wrote the 42 book, is my spiritual director, disciple, whatever you want to call him. I'm in Inverness with him for two days on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. I meet him three times a year, and uh, he's older in life and faith and leadership and fathering every part of my life. I want to learn from him and have been doing for the last eight years. We all need people that we're learning from. And we need people that we do life with, soul friends, other brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever you call them. I have Phil and John. We meet around once a month for an evening or half a day. And they know everything about me. I'm talking the real stuff, not the, the superficial stuff that we talk about in our uh, little small group tough stuff sometimes. I'm sure you've all been part of small groups where it gets to the end and someone says, what should we pray about? And you say, can you pray about my cat or my auntie Marjorie's ingrown toenail and all of those things. And, and that toenail is important. Please don't misunderstand me. But those aren't the real issues that are stopping people going on in faith. Which, and that's not the appropriate context to talk about those things. You know, you need a much smaller group of trusted people where you can say, this is me, warts and all, secret sins and struggles. It's why Jesus' brother, stepbrother, wrote in James 5.16, these incredible words. He says, confess your sins, not just to God, confess your sins, he says, to each other, that you will be healed. And we need relationships of honesty and vulnerability where we can say, this is what's stopping me going on with Jesus and that those people can pray for us, advise us, um, hold us accountable for change. It's what we're going to talk about in this, this bit. People we're learning from, people we do life with, and then people that we are leading into a relationship with Jesus, and because we want reproduction, and helping them do the same. People we are leading into relationship with Jesus and helping them to do the same. Now, you can forget the numbers, but I want to encourage you to think about, well, who am I learning from? Who am I doing life with? And who am I leading in relationship with Jesus? And I want to be provocative enough to say, unless we have those relationships in place, and sometimes those relationships might overlap. I know people who learn from and do life with the same people. That's all fine. But unless we are learning, doing life, and leading, I believe we won't reach our full potential in Christ because we need people. We need Jesus, we need the Spirit, we need the Father, but we need people as well. So how do we go about doing this? Finding all of these kind of people, but particularly the leading. So let me mention these four things. And the first thing is we need to have radar. Everyone say radar to make sure you're awake. Radar. Okay, great. Oh, well, no, we seem to, that's it, radar, perfect. And, and basically what I mean by this, um, that is this, that you can't disciple everyone, but you can disciple someone. 
And so the question is, who are you going to disciple? Well, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, when it came to Jesus and how he did this, Jesus has a plan. You know, it's said that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. So Jesus has a plan. And, uh, and if you look at the call of the apostles, what you'll find is that Jesus, you'll see this in Mark's gospel and, and in Luke's gospel, it's in the early part on the left-hand side. And uh, what you'll basically see is that Jesus has spoken to thousands of people, then he dismisses loads of them, and then there are still a large number, more than 12, and then he goes up a hillside, and the first thing he does is pray. And he prays, he spends the whole night praying. And then he comes down and he looks and you'll see, and then he goes, you Matthew, you Peter, you James, you John, and he picks, he looks and he asks the 12 apostles. You'll see that's what Jesus does. And of course, and the end here of never give up is like, if you ever ask someone, if you say to someone, look, I'd love to come alongside you and really help you grow in faith, or, or maybe you know someone who's not a Christian and you would love to journey with them, to, to explore faith with them. And sometimes people in my experience will say, no, I don't want to do that. And that's okay. Just pray, look, and then ask someone else. But never give up because I, I want to... I believe passionately that God wants every single person in this room today to be learning from someone, to have wonderful soul friendships of complete, authentic faith and vulnerability, and you have something to impart and help them and teach someone else, to lead someone else into a relationship. And, and so, so let me encourage you to do that. Like, you know, if, if you don't have anyone that you're leading to Christ at the moment or that you are discipling, then pray. It could be someone in this room, you know, that you want to invest that time in. Who is it? Jesus shows us very clearly, even though thousands of people came to him, Jesus shows us that if you really want to influence, you have to go small. Because even with the 12, he has three, doesn't he? Peter, James, and John. And there's not time this morning, but go and do a study of what Jesus does with James and John and Peter and what he says to Peter, James, and John and Peter. And you will see he is very hard on them, very tough on them. He gives them these incredible experiences. They see him at his best. They see him at his worst. And they are the ones who found the church in Acts 2, 3, and 4, and 5 because Jesus understands there is a disproportionate amount of impact and influence you bring to a smaller number of people. That's why sometimes, you know, like, you know, in the, all of the 30 years I've done youth ministry, sometimes we've had a youth group of 100, and sometimes we've had a youth group of 10. The evangelist in me loves the 100, the disciple in me hates the 100. You cannot disciple 100 people. It's a nightmare. And sometimes I talk to youth leaders and they say, oh, I've got a youth group, it's just got six in. I'm like, that is amazing. The impact you can make on six young people, really pouring your life into them, is absolutely off the charts. We need to understand that redefining big in the kingdom of God is not big events and things like that. Big in the kingdom of God is a life change. That is big in the kingdom of God. And that's why I wrote my book, Don't Make History, Change the Future, because it's all about how do you change the future? One life at a time. One life at a time. So the first is radar. The second then is time. These get progressively harder. So the time challenge is this. Can you find at least an hour a week to hang out with that person and you say, what do I do? I'll tell you about that in a moment. To, to come alongside that. Can you find an hour a week where you are seeking to grow the faith of someone else and lead them? Now, even in my own church, even in my youth group, when we talk about this kind of stuff, for years, most people say, this sounds great, but unfortunately, I am too 
Busy, absolutely busy. And let me tell you people that you don't need to be a prophet to say that if you are too busy to find one hour a week of growing someone in faith, then you are too busy. And why is that the case? Because of this reality. The only thing you can take to heaven with you is people. So I, I want to ask you, if that, on the next slide, um, I want to ask you if, if your life reflects that truth, if your diary reflects that truth, or maybe if heaven is peeking over your life today, does, does heaven think, well, you seem to think you can take Facebook to heaven with you, or, or, or you can take Netflix to heaven with you, or you think you can take your gym club to heaven with you. And not, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you're, if you're telling me that those things mean that you can't even find 60 minutes a week to help someone grow in faith, then I'm saying there's something wrong with that picture. The only thing you do of eternal significance that lasts forever is the people who will come through with you and those, the acts of love and kindness that you do with them. And so the first thing is radar. We need, God, who do you want me to disciple? I can't disciple everyone, but I will disciple someone. And the second thing is time. I want to encourage you off the back of today to look at your calendar, look at your diary. When could you find time? You might be a spontaneous person. I'm a structured person. So for me, with Will, Josh, and Teo over six or seven years, it was Monday after school, uh, pretty much kind of 4.30 to 5.30, hanging out together, getting that time. Sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. We tried to do it every week because if we did it every week, we know we'd do it at least two or three times a month. If we try to do it monthly, then ages could go by. Ages could go by. And so, so we've got radar, we've got time. And then thirdly, shalom. Ignore the quote, just move on to the shalom slide. Thank you. Because this starts to get into these two things that I'm going to talk about, that, well, what do we do? Now, listen, when I grew up, and some of you have been around the block for quite a long time. You'll, you'll, be, you'll have heard the evangelist. In fact, in my early days of evangelism, I probably did this myself. I probably even said this 25 years ago when I was here at Wirral. Like you preach the gospel, and at the end of the gospel, you always hear this question. And the question goes like this. If you were to die tonight, and if you were to leave this place and were knocked down and killed by a bus and die, where would you spend eternity? How many of you have heard those kind of talk, you know, things? Okay, we've all heard those kind of things. And listen, as a teenager, when I was like your age, this question would terrify me. I always used to think there was a demonic bus driver on the, you know, like round the corner, you know, revving the engine, ready to take a few Christian uh, young people out who'd been foolish enough to say no to Jesus. Now, now hear me, just let me explain what I'm about to say before you call me a heretic. What I've discovered is this, that Jesus is not selling tickets to heaven. That is not the gospel. Okay. Jesus in John 10 verse 10 says, I have come that you would have life and life in all its fullness. And when he said that, he didn't just mean pie in the sky when you die. He meant cake on a plate while you wait. That there is life and healing and good news for you right in the here and now and knowing that eventually we will be with him for eternity in the new creation. It's both. Both really matter. It's not like I just made a decision. I've got to somehow battle through the rest of my earthly years and eventually I'll go to heaven. And of course, you know you're not going to heaven. Revelation tells us that heaven is coming to earth and, and, and that there'll be new heavens and new creation and it's going to be amazing. We've already talked about that. And, and so ultimately when it thinks about this, this lovely, rich Hebrew word shalom, which doesn't mean 
peace in terms of the absence of strife. It means well-being. It means thriving. It means flourishing. It means, as the hymn writer wrote, whatever's going on in my world, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And so, so what, is, what do I mean by this? So, so when we say, what do I talk about with the people I'm discipling? What I'm saying shalom is about, we talk about everything. So I'm not just asking, have you read the Bible this week? I'm talking about, like, how are you sleeping? Like, how are you getting on with your mum and dad? Like, let's talk about the money stuff. What are some of the emotional battles that are going on with your heart? What are, you, what are some of the wrong thoughts? You know, how are you living out your faith? We talk about everything because everything matters to God and the Holy Spirit wants to bring healing and wholeness to every part of life. We get a taste of it in the now. We get the full reality of it in the not yet of the kingdom when the fully kingdom comes. Amen? So we talk about everything. I spent more time in the seven years I was discipling uh, Will, Josh, and Teo regularly. Now they're at university, and so it's a bit of a WhatsApp relationship now. Um, talking about sleep more than anything else. And let me say to us, there are some of you here this morning who the best thing you can do to improve your relationship with Jesus is to get a good night's sleep. Because when you're tired, it affects everything. It affects your relationships with people, your relationships with God. And so we would talk about sleep. There's an there's a interesting model called the GROW model that's quite helpful when you're wanting to hold people to account. And so, so let's say, for example, you're discipling someone and, and you're having a conversation about engaging with Scripture. I have a question that I ask people, um, and you can find this stuff on the Live Life 123 website. I don't, I don't ask them, like, have you read the Bible this week? I ask them this. I say, what are you doing with what God is saying? What are you doing with what God is saying? And if they say to me, well, God isn't saying anything, then I would ask them, well, how are you listening to God at the moment? And which will lead us into conversations about prayer and scripture. And if they say, well, I'm not reading the Bible at all, then we might set a bit of a grow goal around reading the Bible. I've done this with, with all the leaders in my church in the last year, actually. So the grow model, the G is basically, okay, what is the goal? So we might say with Bible reading, and this literally might apply to some of you here today, and I encourage you to do this, is the goal is I want to be in the regular, preferably daily, but habit of engaging in scripture and prayer. Okay, that's the goal. And so then the R is reality. What's the reality? What's happening right now? And so, so it might be, well, I'm, I can't remember the last time I read the Bible and I pray here and there and all that kind of stuff. So that's the reality. And so then we talk about some options. What are some of the different things that we could, we could do? You could listen to it. You could read it. You could put it on an app. You could do lots of things. You could do it in the morning, evening. Lots and lots of different ways forward. And, and, and we have a little model that we're starting to introduce within our church that, that starts off one, one, one. One, colon, one, colon, one. And it's very simple. And some of you will be shocked because some of you are prayer warriors and you pray and read the Bible for three hours a day. But most of you won't be like that. And so, so I say to people, right, get, you get your mobile phone out and you get up, let's say in the morning, because morning is a good time if you can do it, or whenever is best for you, and you set a timer for 60 seconds on your mobile phone. And for those 60 seconds, read some scripture. If you don't know what to read, start in Mark. Mark's gospel, it's good. Read 60. When the alarm goes off, you can stop. You don't have to stop, but you can stop. Then reset it again, another 60 seconds. And now just stop. And just close your eyes and just, God, what do you want to say to me through what I've just read? And then the alarm goes off and you can continue if you want or you can stop. And then 60 seconds and then pray. And 
let's get into the habit over 30 or 40 days of doing three minutes a day. We can all do three minutes a day. And then once you've done your one, 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 guess where you go there? You go two, two, two. And, and I'm saying this because this is how I've had to train myself to grow my time with God because we're told to train ourselves. It stuff doesn't come uh, naturally and find ways that work in terms of praying and reading scripture. So I can sit and read the scripture. I do it most mornings. I did it this morning. But I find that when I pray, I walk around. So in my front room at home, I walk around with my eyes open. If I close my eyes and sit in a chair, in a chair and pray, I fall asleep. So I pray out loud. And I, and, and I now have pieces of music that I know over this piece of music, you know, I'm going to pray in tongues. And over this piece of music, I'm going to confess my sins. And over this piece of music, I might lie prostrate on the floor and stuff. And, 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 and I'm not bound by those things, but those things have helped me stretch me and grow my intimacy and connection with God. Does that make sense? So, so just practical ways. I'm not saying do what I've done, but what I'm saying is we're trying to help people find ways to grow. And then the, the will is, the W is like, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to do that? Are you going to do the one, one, one? And I would usually ask people, on a scale of one to ten, how committed are you to actually do that? And if they said seven, then I would say, well, how do we make it even easier because we want to go for a ten? So when, when Will said to me that he was having trouble sleeping, and, uh, and part of that was because research proven reading his phone in bed before bed is going to make it really hard for him to sleep, um, then uh, originally we said, let's take the, room, the, the phone out of the room. And he was committed to that for a six. And so, so I said, well, how do we make that a 10? So he said, well, what I'll do is I won't have my phone next to my bed. I'll put it on the other side of the room and I'll be fully committed to that. And that's what he did and he achieved it. And when he'd made that progress, then we could stretch him a little bit more. You know, and sometimes these are like day things. You know, I was in touch with Joshua the other day and he was really struggling with some study. And so we talked about that, uh, prayed about it, brought a little scripture challenge to it and, uh, and, and, and came up with an idea of something that he could do. And he said, I don't know if I can do it for the, for, forever and ever. I said, well, let's do it today. Do it today and then I'll check in with you tomorrow and we'll see if you manage to do it. And he did. And so I said, well, let's do it another day. We're trying to make this as easy as possible, people, for people to kind of grow. Is this making sense? Yeah. Cool. So, so, so we talk about everything, and that's why these things like 42 is really helpful, and the Live Life 123 app. So if you're never sure, they're like this 42 resource is also video, so you can watch me, rather than reading, if you don't like reading it, you can watch me teach it, or if you like listening, you can listen to it. And so, so within our church... We have some people who will read a chapter and then they'll talk about it. There are some people who will watch it, a video on their iPhone, and then they'll talk about it. So on the Live Life 123 website and app, there's, there's a bunch of resources that you could use in your little coffee shop chats that will grow the faith of people, including seven growth questions. So there are lots of things there, and there'll be other resources that you can use. But, and I'm nearly finished, but ultimately... The main way people grow in faith is by getting stuck in. So my fourth point is about mission, is about mission. Because you know that Jesus did teach his disciples, but the way he really helped them catch it is that he got them busy about the work of the kingdom. Because here is a profound truth that you all know, that you grow as you go. You grow as you go. My faith revolution happened when I was... 17 years old, been in the church all my life, but at the age of 17, I was invited to be involved as a leader in the youth work of our church. 
And I just felt flattered, to be honest. Like, you know, I, I didn't even pray about it. Or anything. I just felt, oh, I feel flattered. You know, they've seen something me, so I said yes. Four weeks into this new outreach that we were running for young people in the community, like, God just wrecked me. He broke my heart for young people, which is why I'll work with young people to the day I die. I realized that if I was going to teach the Bible, I probably ought to read it. And I was dealing with such broken issues with young people, it brought me to my, pra- my knees in prayer and tears. You grow as you go. The revolution happens when you participate, not when you spectate. And so I want to encourage us to get people busy about the kingdom of God as quickly as possible, even if they're not Christians. Like every year, Urban Saints takes hundreds of young people overseas, and we build houses in Tijuana, Mexico, and in a township, Botland Township in South Africa. And half the young people who go on those camps aren't Christians, and loads of them get saved. Because when they go and they start getting involved in the mission of God, which isn't just building houses, we do healing on the streets, they see people get healed, they people get, see, get saved, they really realize that in their sense of worthlessness God has used them to build a house which massively changes the life of a family forever and they realize well this is what I was created to do to be part of God's kingdom and see God's kingdom come and will be done loads of young people got saved not primarily through an evangelist speaking although it generally is in that context that they'll eventually say yes but because they got stuck in and God touched their heart and their hearts were broken for the poor and the lost and the the agenda of Jesus that's where it happens Get people stuck in. I mean, I don't believe that eight-year-olds should do marriage counselling. I think they're not qualified. I don't think they've got enough experience. But I think they could do pretty much else in the life of the church. We're trying to do that in our church. We're a long way to go. But I, you know, eight-year-olds on the host team, eight-year-olds serving in the four-year-olds ministry, eight-year-olds praying for people. Let's, let's get everyone stuck into the mission of God, not just in the life of the church, but outside of it. Because that's where the real action is. The church is the filling station. It's the feeding station for whatever else happens. 24 7 is that right you know so mission you grow as you go so we're praying God who do I do this for and then I'm carving out time to spend time with them outside of the normal groups and meetings we're talking about life and using the Bible and other resources and praying and creating accountability for people to change but more than anything we're saying get stuck in Get stuck in and then do what Jesus did. Then evaluate. He brings the disciples back. How did that go? Oh, this time we healed them, but that time we couldn't. What's that about? Well, you need some more fasting this time. That's where the the real learning happens. That's where it really goes on. And so I think I need to draw all this uh, to uh, close with my story that I promised you. Is everyone okay? Uh, No time has gone. So this is is my finishing story. And... uh, This story is my favorite story ever. And if this story does not convince you about the importance of you pouring your life into someone and the impact of that, then nothing will. I want to take you 172 years ago to a Sunday school teacher called Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, that's him? Edward Kimball um, has radar. He's saying, Lord, I can't disciple everyone, but I want to disciple someone. Who should I do it? And he feels like he looks and he feels like the Holy Spirit prompts him to one lad in his group. So he asks and he says, look, how about we hang out outside of Sunday school and everything in the week and uh, we'll explore this Christian faith thing. And the boy says yes. And they meet over numerous weeks and eventually he leads him to Christ. 
And then he starts discipling him, you know, opening up the scriptures, talking about the whole of life, looking at the gifts that he's got, how does he release him in those gifts? And eventually the boy grows up and he goes all over the world telling people about Jesus. What was his name? D.L. Moody, the guy who had the list of 100 people. D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody understood, like the psalmist and, and Tim, Paul did to Timothy, that you've got to pass it on. And so he passed the baton on to F.B. Meyer, who passed on the baton to J. Wilbur Chapman, who passed on the baton to Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, decades later, is preaching in a little American town called Charlotte. Preaches the gospel in the mission. Loads of people get saved. And they think, you've got to pass it on. You've got to pass it on. So they invite another preacher called Mordecai Ham to come and speak. And Mordecai Ham preaches the gospel over a number of weeks. But they're all disappointed because not many people people come to faith but one of the people who does is a teenage boy who goes by the name of Billy Graham and Billy Graham as many of you will know very close to being with Jesus now has led millions and millions of people to Jesus but the story is not about Billy Graham are you with me you just see what's happening here 172 years ago Edward Kimball pours his life into D.L. Moody I can't do this for everyone but I'll find an hour or so a week of my time I'll make other sacrifices I will prioritize this person and because of his faithfulness just like the psalmist said just like Paul said to Timothy the gospel explodes from generation to generation and there are millions and millions of people in the kingdom of God because Edward Kimball committed to one how do you change the future one life at a time friends one life at a time now some of you have got it I can see some of you haven't got it so a little little addendum to the story it's 2012 I'm in North Wales speaking at a 50th birthday celebration of a crusader camp in a place called Nevin 120 people packed into a marquee. I'm the closing speaker. I tell this story about how faith explodes from generation to generation when we are faithful, from Kimball to Billy Graham. But just before I get up, another guy gets up. His name was Joe Jones. I'd never met him before. He tells the story about how he came to faith decades ago on camp. He tells the story about how he went back to his youth leader, who was a guy called John Mercer. And John Mercer was in the marquee that day his youth leader. So Joe Jones, at the front of this marquee, I'm sitting on the front row, he points at John Mercer, this this older man now, and says, John, I I spoke to my youth leader, John. I said, John, I've become a Christian at camp. And John said to me, well, what do you want to do with the rest of your life, Joe? And he said, I knew. He said, John, I'm going to go to Africa and I'm going to plant hundreds and hundreds of churches across Africa. And John didn't say, can you not just be a fireman or something? He said, that's great, Joe. He says, I'm going to train you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to invest my life in you. And, and so Joe Jones tells us, John Mercer, he met with me four times a week. Twice in the Crusader class, twice outside of it. And then he stands up and he pauses and he looks at all of us gathered and he says, my wife and I have just returned from 35 years of planting hundreds and hundreds of churches across Africa. Because of the grace of God? Of course the grace of God. But because John Mercer was willing to say, I can't disciple everyone, but I will disciple someone. And because of his faithfulness in doing that, there are hundreds and hundreds of churches across Africa. Now, some of you have got it, but not all of you. So there's a final part to the story, and then I'm done. You'll be pleased. At the end, John Mercer walks down the middle, and he comes up to me. I know John. Big smile on his face. It's from Sandbatch. And he looks at me and he said, Matt, you will never guess. Because remember then I stood up and I told my story from Kimball to Billy Graham. He said, you'll never guess who led me to Christ, Matt. I said, I don't know. He said, Billy Graham. 
John Mercer said, I am a Christian because of Billy Graham. And suddenly all of this starts to make even more sense. Can you see, people, what's going on here? 172 years ago, Edward Kimball invests his life in D.L. Moody. I can't disciple everyone, but I will disciple one. I'll give an hour of my week. And 172 years later, Billy Graham has led millions of people to Christ. Joe Jones has planted hundreds of churches across Africa. Youth for Christ, which was established by uh, Billy Graham is in every continent in the world and those are just three streams of faithfulness of one man who said I will give an hour of my week to someone else so I have two words to finish as I pray come on come on and so father thank you for being with us this morning Thank you for this amazing truth that you have called us. Lord, we know we have, in a sense, nothing to offer you. There's nothing special about us that you love us and that you've chosen us and you've called us and you're forgiving us and you're healing us and you're drawing us into this amazing mission. And Lord, we've got questions and struggles and fears and suffering and life is sometimes great and sometimes it's tough and sometimes we wonder whether you even exist, Lord, but we know that you are for us and that you are with us. And Lord, we know this good news has not just got to be good news to us, but good news through us, that we're called to be rivers, not reservoirs, soaking it up like spiritual fatties, but pouring it into the lives of other people. Lord, I pray for this church today, that it would be a disciple-making disciples church. I pray that you would impregnate every member of this church with a passion. Give me souls, Lord Jesus. Give me sons and daughters. Give me grandsons and granddaughters. I am hungry in the next year to lead people to Christ and learn as we go. This is our prayer. We pray it for the good of this community and the glory of God. And everyone agreed and said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. God bless.